Welcome everybody to another episode of my uh, podcast and uh, as always I'm delighted to have my uh, my guests so if you're listening in the ether uh, hello if you're watching um, hello waving onto uh, my uh, YouTube channel and uh, I know we've talked about data before but that's been through a sales and marketing lens and I'm genuinely delighted to have um, Rick Hawkins today who is a former uh, CDO former chief data officer I'll let him share his story just to give um, dare I say a slightly maybe different viewpoint through a different lens looking at sales and marketing but from the other side of the table this will all start to make uh, sense for those that are that are listening but um, and also this is one of the most organized I've, I've done so again Rick thank you for keeping me honest and please do keep me honest during uh, what we've been uh, we've been talking about but uh, as I said I always start with a, a Rick a who a what a why and a when uh, over to over to you let's hear your story uh, hi, well, I'm, I'm Rick Hawkins. Uh, yes, I, I am a former chief data officer. I have I have worked both buy and sell side. Um, I was kind of in data before data became trendy. Um, started started my career in the consulting industry. Spent 25 years doing various uh, small and large consulting. Um, always doing financial services. Always doing the tended to do the more the kind of back end risk and finance related stuff. Um, but no matter where I was, uh, some aspects of customer data is always there, some aspect of client data is always there. Um, and I spent the last five years as a, a chief data officer in uh, one of the global banks. So uh, that's short potted history of, of who and what. Um, you know, where I'm obviously based in London and, and why, well, why not? It's a great place to be. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, and um, you know we'll put links to profiles, etc. At the at the end of this, for people to if they want to uh, uh, to learn um, learn more. And um, on the risk side of things, I mean, being a salesperson myself, I don't doubt we had a few situations where you look at things and think, hmm, we've sold that. Why have we sold that? Why was that allowed to be <laughs> sold in that way? Dare I say it? <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think there's some examples as we get into the conversation that uh, relate to some of that sort of PPI protection, which actually I, I did some remediation work. Um, and, uh, and I think I'll, I'll say later, but uh, ethics isn't anything that you really have a great degree of hindsight over. Um, so it's a real challenge in, in, in the current environment. It really is. Indeed. So with all that um, in mind, I thought I'd start with, and this may have, you know, treat me as, 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 as a simpleton and, and my audience certainly uh, are not, but you, you said at the top of the, the the top of the show that it's data has become trendy and everyone's kind of talking about it. And even in my profile, I've got you know the future of selling is is data or something mm -hmm. to that uh, something to that effect. But in in your ex experience as a bona fide expert in in this on both sides of the the table, as you will, I mean, what what is data in? In, in in the round in a business context in a more broad context? I mean, what what fundamentally are we talking about? Um, I mean, in, in really simple terms, you know, data is just plain facts and statistics that you gather during the course of any business operation. And, and you know, obviously it depends on your business. I mean, it could be anything, you know, from, you know, number of items manufactured. It could be the time it takes to do something. It could be incurred costs. Obviously, a, a finance guy that spent a lot of time on incurred costs. Um, and, and from my risk side, it could, of course, be, you know, losses as well. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, where we want to get to, I mean, all businesses use data, but I guess the point here is that some use it to a greater or a, less, a lesser extent. And I think I think the, the really great businesses actually use data um, to kind of redirect some of their op, um, operations, some of their activities. Um, 
And I think that this, the superlatives here, you know, we talk about the fangs, the Facebook, you know, Amazon and all the rest of it. But, you know, those sorts of industries, those sorts of companies, they, they manage data much like they manage other physical assets. You know, they, they curate it, they, they enhance it, they, they analyze and they investigate it. And they even put dedicated amount of money into researching it. Right. And I think that's the differentiator. It's like people think about data. Oh, is this anomalous thing? It's out there. It's in the cloud. I can't get my fingers on it. I can't touch it, which is which is very true. But it's just another asset. It's just something that you need to manage like you are managing other aspects of your business. And I think that's, that's a really, thank you, simple way of um, uh, of describing it. And we kind of build build on that and i am not a data expert i'm surrounded by very clever people um within uh, within my world who uh, who are i mean i'm in awe of them in terms of how you look at spreadsheets and i imagine things like a beautiful mind all comes to life like, like this in in front of you but you know if i reflect on some of the the articles that i know i shared with you um earlier on, on this we were talking about in the broad sense um in the broad sense and in the sales and marketing sense you know back in 2016 2017 this was being kind of touted as something that organizations need to be doing need to be think thinking about you mentioned you know the mangs rather than the fangs because obviously facebook is now um, oh, it's uh, meta. Meta. <laughs> and notwithstanding you know what happened in 2016 with Cambridge Analytica and all that kind of sort of, sort of things mm -hmm. like I always I am wary of maybe referencing those organizations in a more traditional B2B context of the world that I'm in, you have come yeah. from, because the audience goes, whoever the leadership might be, go, well, they're them, we're not them. But why why do we why do we, why do you, why does one believe that it's still taking so long to get right in a business? world where one can one argue that we should have learned or can be learning from what the you know the the consumer machines are are doing in this space mm -hmm. um well let me skip back and go 2016 was late um i've been doing some of this since about 99 but then like i said i was doing it before it became trendy um <laughs> but i guess the the point i'm i'm making there is that actually it, it actually takes quite a bit of time to get the foundations in and, and actually to persuade the business that there is value in what we are doing. Um, so, I mean, let me draw a couple of simple comparisons for you. I mean, it, putting up a building, you know, a number of times, particularly under COVID, you, you go, oh, wow, that went up fast, right? And, and you think back, but you remember back and like, actually, you remember them pushing dirt around for 18 months, two years, and then all of a sudden, you know, 15 stories appear overnight and like inside three months people are moving in right my, my analogy here is that the getting those foundations in place takes time and actually very few organizations hence my 99 kind of mm -hmm. dig earlier right few organizations really put that effort in specifically because either there's no kind of benevolent dictator really driving this from the top right <laughs> Because unless you can join that data together in a consistent manner, you can assimilate it in a way in which you can start to leverage and use, right? And you, if you just skip that phase, you go, oh, I just want to go straight to the, the insight and the reporting. All you're going to end up is continuing to operate in silos, right? And you're just going to end up guessing where, where you are. I mean, why are our sales up? Our profits down? Our manufacturing taking longer? Whatever the scenario is, you just don't know because you haven't joined input and output and come up with some form of correlated answer. And then 
the point to that, the second really, really painful point, and, and, and I was going to draw an analogy with the mobile phone industry on this one, is that standards are hard, right? Life would be so much easier if every phone was just charged with a USB-C cable, right? <laughs> Objectively, everybody agrees and knows that. But things have evolved over time. You know, all businesses didn't start the same way. You know, different voltages, sizes, shapes, you know, and, and the cost for the, the Apples, the Nokias and, and the other outliers out there that are still not using a, a standard approach, right, is way too high. Why do they want to change it? They have something that's worked, the tooling's in there, they're selling it, it's fine. It will be a disruption to them. It ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. So, and, and leaving aside, you know, the the sort of, uh, well, the lightning cables are better architecture and the whole Betamax versus uh, VHS argument, which yeah. which is probably an architecture discussion, which we might get to at some other point. <laughs> but the, the point here is that sometimes standard adoption doesn't automatically generate an immediate business benefit. Um, and what tends to happen is that you have the myopic businesses and any business has got multiple subdivisions structures to it. Yeah. And they go, yeah, yeah, what's in it for me? What, what am I going to get out of it? And, and I guess that the wider, my learning on this, the wider benefits here are to think about the, the wider ramifications of why you would want to do this standardization. What's the holistic reason for doing it? I mean, right now, Apple are being absolutely railed so that for environmental impact because they're different and everybody else isn't, right? Yeah. And so if I bring a more business context from my world into this, you know, you know, customers, I, I work for a bank that got into all sorts of trouble with the regulator because it didn't exactly know how many customers it had. Mm-hmm. And you think, how can you not know, right? But the point is, what's the difference between an active customer and a passive customer, a prospect yeah. and, and an actual genuine customer? You know, also we had some certain challenges. We were counting people that were domiciled in the same address. Well, they're not really customers, but in certain cultures and certain countries, that association is considered to be a customer. Yeah. So you can't, if you haven't got the basic components right, you can't drive your marketing strategy. You can't get that right as well because you'll end up marketing to the wrong number of people. Yeah. It's, and I'm not going to go rogue, but we we kind of said that, you know, the, the conversation may yeah. may go within the, within the realms of that. So I want to I pick up on, so my audience is primarily kind of sales leaders and marketers. Yeah. I think you raised a really, really interesting point there, Rick, around, you know, if you need a, a benevolence dictator to help uh, dr- drive this, yet there might, you know, picking up on the, the real estate analogy of building the foundations, you mm-hmm. don't see anything for a period of time and then actually start to get some insight. We'll come onto the standardization piece in, um, in a minute. In your experience on being on both sides of the, the coin, as it were, both buy side and, and sell side, how... How do you even start to help a business move in that way or move if you don't have leadership? Because leadership, I'm going to make some huge assumptions here. Most organizations get it, right? They don't need to do something. But how do you move that from a board conversation that, okay, we need to do something, but we don't know what to do, so we're just going to carry on talking about it, to actually then getting the right leadership to, to, to recognize they need to do something, but follow-up point this is going to take time yeah. I, I guess there's there's a there's a simple answer that will probably uh, um you know key well with your your sales side um <laughs> listeners on this one which is follow the money okay. right um that with with anything in any big transformation you, you know mm-hmm. you know analogies associated with eating the elephant or whatever you have to look at small quick wins and 
what I found in both large organizations and mid-sized organizations um, that there will always be some burning problem that is associating with tying up some form of cash or it's costing you something, right? Mm -hmm. If you can get that quick win worked out and, and if that frees up cash, if it sells something, if it makes something get over the line, and then you have a supporter and that supporter is then not just someone from the top going oh we should do the right thing mm -hmm. it's someone that's going doing the right thing has saved me money yeah. then that natural you know salesman competitive salesperson competition yeah. you know people go hey there's something in it for me um and i guess the standardization thing then starts to come into play and, and away you go the, the flip side of that, certainly for me, coming from a risk and finance and a financial services perspective is, of course, there is another customer in this equation, and that's the regulator. And yeah. so occasionally, and, and it's happening across the board everywhere, the regulator turns up, turns up with a big stick, right? And so I, ideally, you want to avoid the big stick from the regulator, whether it's a fine or whether it's a, an edict to do something. Yeah. Because if you can actually move the business and have the business moving in that direction with benefits slowly coming through and you gaining momentum, not only does that actually give your business something really valuable to work with, it actually allows you to have a conversation with the regulator going, look, we're doing it. We're on a journey. You know, give us give us some time. And so building. And thank you for for that. That clear answer that's why i get experts on this uh, on this show rather than me kind of sort of you know waffling my way through it but building on that um i shared with you that blog article which was written back mm. in 2017 around why does a with the tweets from katrina neal who was at cisco at the time and she's now at some um, microsoft with around the around the lines of um any marketer who goes into a data-led business meeting saying i think may well be asked to leave i would suggest you change the job title marketing with any job function but the other aspect of that article, I'll put the link at the end of the thing somewhere in here, and I can never do the YouTube bit um, at the end of the podcast as well. Do, does that mean we need data scientists? Does that mean we actually need data scientists? And to that point, what is a what is a data scientist? Because I guess, not yeah. a guess, I have something in my head of what a data scientist is, but this being your life since 1999, <laughs> the Prince song is coming to my head, um, but it's all the artists formerly known as. So from your perspective, you know, what is a data scientist and does that mean that organizations should now go hire a bunch of data scientists? Yeah, I mean, good, good question. I mean, data scientist is a, is a hugely trendy term right now. Um, and, um, you know, I, I've been in data, you know, since, since the days of BI, which was with business intelligence, you yeah. know, that's not a, the next thing after AI. Um, and um, what, what I would actually say about data scientists is that a, a good data scientist has a complex and wide range of skills, right? And at one end of the scale, we've got really junior, highly techy people, people that understand, you know, you know, things like Python, uh, things like machine learning and AI routines, and are able to then start throwing tech and CPU cycles at the problem. Mm -hmm. But in reality, um, data scientists are just inquisitive people with tech skills. And the, 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 the older, grayer ones like, like you and I um, have that other really important ingredient, which is the business acumen. Right, because most of the work that a data scientist will do, whether it's a team of people with someone leading with a hypothesis and then someone else proving it out, is exactly that. You are investigating, you're analyzing the data that you've got to prove or disprove something uh, which is a hypothesis. You know, 
machine learning and, and other powerful tools and, and those super techie guys are actually sometimes able to do it the other way around going, I've got no hypothesis at all. I'm just going to look at your data and see what I come up with. But there are some, there are some potential downsides to that. And um, I think we joked and talked about the other the other week about the, the whole Nicolas Cage moment. You know, you can have unintended correlations. <laughs> and the, for those of you listening that don't know the Nicolas Cage one, it's a, uh, a correlation between Nicolas Cage movies and death by drowning in swimming pools. You know, clearly absolutely unrelated. But if you look at the data, you could come to that conclusion. And that's why to bring it back to why do I need a market? Why do marketeers need data scientists? You need that hybrid of skills. You need to have someone that understands the business, got the acumen, come up with a hypothesis, throw it at the techies, see if you can prove or disprove. And then what they may well come back to you is go, yeah, actually, Alex, you were sort of right, but these five things we've also discovered. And like, that's the yes and that you get out the back of putting data science on top of things like marketing. And it's interesting that you, you know, talk about that they're just inquisitive people with technical skills, you know, part of trying to get salespeople to be curious, don't kind of follow the same pattern, don't follow what everybody else has done, be curious in terms of your, your questioning of, of, you know, prospects when you're in that stage, be, you know, be prepared to ch challenge some of the challenge, the assumptions, if you can then support that with some, some clever stuff that you've got inquisitive technical people have got access to the data and can, can wrangle it. Uh, if, if you will, I believe that's a really powerful combination to to have. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll pick up on that kind of wrangling point, because I think, you know, and we talked about this, the great sales and marketing leads, you know, they, they talk about working their network, right? But fundamentally, what they're doing in their head is a complex series of correlations between completely unrelated facts to come up with some hypothesis. And, and you know, to be honest, I mean, I'm in awe of folks that can do that because that's not naturally what I do, right? But people think, oh, yeah, you know, so and so, he just moved from there to there and she's now doing this and they've got this opportunity and let's go in and talk to them about this, right? People that can do, do that naturally are just phenomenal, right? But, but the, the, let's come back to my yes and. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I was kind of throwing you an analogy earlier about like modern sat navs, right? Yeah. Right. If you don't know where you're going, you know, you're going to punch something into the sat nav and away you go. You've got directions. Great. You know, so kind of for any for any sales person, those, those greenfield opportunities, they're going to go out there, gather as much data as they can because they don't want to go in with the I think they want to go in with as much I know as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, recent changes in leadership, what's out to tender, anything like that. Yeah. Right. That's all sort of basic stuff. But what about where you've already got an existing relationship and you know that client, right? Right. I don't need to put the sat nav off to go down to the street. You know, I know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. But what the sat nav is going to tell me is, hey, Rick, the, there's some roadworks. The road's closed. There's just been an accident, right? Right. So every time you're doing something, you're having an interaction with your client base, you're generating new pieces of information. And when joined with other existing pieces of information, that could start generating insight that you might not know that your magic head might not be able to pull together. You know, are there key projects running late? Has a re recent vendor fallen in or out of favor? You know, and, and the other things from my, my risk world, you know, would be, you know, are they paying their bills promptly? You know, are they facing a takeover? Is their share price doing something that was a bit unexpected? Has there been some sort of change in corporate governance? And, and to that ethics point earlier, you know, even, you know, is this a business that we want to have greater association with, you know, particularly right now, political sensitivities, Russia or otherwise, right? There's any number of things, environmental as well, that you'd actually go, 
I can sell to this company, this individual, but do I really want to? Is it the right thing to do? And I think, you know, finish this data science point off. I mean, the the insight that we can get with from, from you know the data scientist point is the sorts of questions that that your, your sales folk are often looking to find out anyway. You know, who is the sign-off or the authority on this sale? It's great that you're you're talking to the buyer. But that's often procurement or a project manager. That's probably not the person that's actually going to sign it off, yeah. right? But if you were able to get hold of a corporate governance structure and 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 you're able to join that together and and do the associations and go well, A works for B and 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 you know you can start to get those sorts of things or insight over how much is the annual budget already accounted for. I mean, you're basically being played for pro bono work, or actually, is there is a real opportunity here, and just by picking up extra pieces of information out there, you can actually start joining that in. And it's gonna be a yes and, you know, I know where I'm going, but I've got the sat nav on. And in case something new and exciting pops up, I can react to it and I can go in with a, I know this is going on, Alex, rather than I think I, you know, and I think that's the synergy. That's how wrangling and science can actually yet add, add a yes and to that, that skill, that inherent skill that, that salespeople have over working the networks. That's I'm going to steal that analogy about the sat nav going down your um, your local streets because you're and again as you're talking thinking about it and I'm going to tie this back to Sales Navigator just for our audience in, in a second around the the, the 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 layering new data and insights onto existing data and insight then may give you more insight. So for example, when I'm coming home, you know, back around the M25, I'll always turn on ways although Waze seems to be chewing a lot of battery power on my iPhone at the moment. To your point, I know the way home, but there are multiple ways home. And if the M25 is getting really horrible around the M3 junction, which it can do, do you then get off of the A30? Or do you get off slightly yeah. earlier down the M3 bit to Richmond to come into Southwest, Southwest yeah. London? I know all of those routes, but I'm letting the data kind of tell me or guide exactly. me this is the best way to go because we have new information that you were, will not be um, uh, be aware of. And this then comes back to the data point around um, Sales Navigator. So, so my listeners, so Sales Navigator is the premium version of LinkedIn, which gives salespeople access to far more information than you get on normal uh, LinkedIn. I always say, though, the key thing is it's just surfacing that data. You then need to know what is the yes and. What do I now do next based on this new piece of information layered against what we already know about this, this customer, this, this, this client, rather than going, that's nice, <laughs> and then carrying on into the, into the, um, uh, into the traffic jam. So I, I think I'm, I'm going to sort of do a bit of questioning back, but I think there's also some, some interesting challenges there because that sort of information that you can pick up either from 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 LinkedIn or from from other sources, and let's yep. face it, you know, you know <clears throat> some of these things. And we'll talk about regulation swinging back and forth. But you know, knowing that it's a certain key buyer's birthday, you know, that's a nice thing to know if you know them personally, yeah. and you've known them for a while, and you go, "Hey, let's go out for a drink for your birthday. I've just bought you a cake or whatever it would be." Right? That's great. But if you're turning up for the first time yeah. and you've never met them, it goes, hey, so did you have a good birthday yesterday? Hmm. That is that that kind of gets into the that's a bit creepy. Yeah. Right? And how did you know that? Right. So I think this is an interesting dynamic that very often the data scientist folk 
um, particularly the super techie folks go, I can join all of this stuff together and look at all this amazing insight. <laughs> and that's where you need that business acumen to go, you can, but in this particular case, yeah. you probably shouldn't. Indeed, that's why I don't have my birthday on LinkedIn for that exact reason. So you don't get randoms wishing you happy birthday. It's like, great, <laughs> not interested. Um, uh, but you raise a very valid point. It's just because the data is there, don't necessarily um, use it, which I guess kind of, I guess I know, kind of, kind of segues naturally onto the, the next question around you. Know, we mentioned Facebook, Meta, and we obviously know where that's been, but they're not, you know, lots of organizations have had data breaches, lots of organizations have been hacked and this and that. Yeah. So from your your most recent world, I guess, what were you starting to see around the the view on the data privacy angle, but I yeah. still want my client to know me? <laughs> if that makes sense <laughs> yeah this, this is this is a horribly complicated area i mean sorry <laughs> no <laughs> i mean I, I'll, I'll leave with some some segues but i mean i honestly think that this is actually probably the hottest area of data right now and i honestly say that you know in in the shadow that's already been cast by ai and machine learning I, I really think this is a hugely hugely hot area um that and it's it's a hot area for, for a couple of reasons um mostly because it's pretty much in the space of ethics and it's a really difficult subject. I mean, I floated that birthday as a, as a sort of example. Um, and I, I said at the very, very opening about the whole, you know, payment protection insurance stuff, you know, yeah. it, banks would never have sold that, you know, if they had any form of ethical hindsight. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but let's, um, uh, <laughs> I, I think there's, there's, there's two parts here and it's, it is quite complicated. So I think, the regulation hasn't really been written well. I think we can see it and we know that from the way in which GDPR has been implemented and all the freaking clicking that you have to do to get yeah. on and off of a website. But but I think what is scary is today what, what good data scientists can do with a few data dumps is genuinely horrifying. Um, okay. That mobile phone of yours is, is tracking you everywhere you go, you everywhere you drive, mm -hmm. you know. So it knows, you know, where you go, how how often you go, how long you go, how much you spend, even what you were, you know, searching for, right? So that information collected together right now, um, and there's, it's a very hot topic at the moment. Um, data brokers that collate this information through trackers, through cookies, and all the rest of it. That information is, it may well be anonymized. Um, it may well be aggregated, generalized, all the rest of it. But the information is so freely available and easily de-anonymized okay. that that i mean the the example i always kind of go you know to between ah this is kind of funny to oh it's a bit creepy you know the school kid that was using uh, free data to check track Elon musk's uh, private yeah he's like hey hashtag where's Elon? right that was kind of fun right but uh very quickly they he twisted that to become an algorithm to search for where the oligarch super yachts and jets yeah. right and again politically a complex issue, but let's just take a situation where someone was trying to flee from an oppressive regime, right? You've quite quickly gone from a bit of fun into something that could end up in a loss of life. Um, now, so therefore come back to the, well, what's the answer and what are we doing about it? I mean, frankly, um, 
most of the banks are absolutely petrified. So I, they're not doing half the things that they could do because they're worried of, yeah. you know, given, given the hindsight that they have got on PPI, that they're really worried that they're going to fall down another ethical dilemma in five years time and mm -hmm. they'll have to pay out the game. Um, so equally, it's also absolutely impossible to write a regulation that's sort of along the lines of, would your mother let you get away with it? Which is really the sort of regulation we need, you know, <laughs> To, to, to the point of the, it's great, I know your birthday, I know you really well, but if I didn't know you and, you, and I showed up with, with a cake, that's uh, a bit on the creepy side, right? So I, I do believe that the, the GDPR regulation, it has to tweak and change and revise slightly because if there's no legitimate business reason for you having that data, you shouldn't have it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, even, and, and specifically, if the customer hasn't further consented to the use of that data, then you shouldn't be using it yourself, let alone selling it to a data broker who might well then be, you know, cross-selling you, you know, kiddies booties for the next, ne next six months because you want search for nappies, right? Um, and, and that's the reality of, I think, where we are at the moment. There's this, this, there's a duality. I think the financial services and the, and the, and the fang, some of the, the, the fangs are trying to protect us from sins in the future and put an environment together that's sensible. Whereas actually, I think, as with any um, organization, the internet is the wild, wild west. And we've got some pariahs out there with some really nasty tracking that's doing some data gathering because they are just looking at the next way in which they can potentially exploit, exploit you. And we have to work out how to stop that mm -hmm. and then allow the customers so that we can actually improve the customer experience. Because, you know, without cookies, I, I, I can't know that you visited my site before. I can't pick up and run forward on... Uh, on options that you've set going off oh, for the love of God, please don't put, put that thing up there. I don't want it there. Yeah. You know, and, and that's customer experience. And to me, that is legitimate business functionality and providing we're classifying the data in that context. And we're, 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 we're enhancing, um, we're adopting GDPR in the way I think it was intended to be done. I think that's what we need to be doing in this space. But like I said, long answer, because it's quite a complicated issue, Alex. It, it's, it, and my brother works in the industry that you are, um, referring to in terms of the aggregate data one of the biggest data aggregators in in you know in yeah. in the world and it's just kind of fascinating hearing him how they're trying to adapt to the new world order of the uh the privacy side of things and i'm i'm, I'm kind of with you i like the would your would your mother let you get away with it because yeah i mean i i bank with nat west i want to know me mm. but i also want to make sure that my data isn't then being sold elsewhere and yeah. being misused and i know that my telephone number i've obviously signed up for something because i'm now getting cold calls from random people trying to sell me stuff and it's like well, brilliant you kind of accept it i'm of a generation that understands it but then you do have a whole audience out there that don't and then mm -hmm. fall foul of um all, all, yeah. of, uh, all, all of this um, okay. conscious of of time so yeah. um the the where are we going to go with this? Let's go. Let's kind of bring the, the last two together. So uh, automation and AI, and then the, the future mm. of, of this. Because I think you not think I know because I can see it here in black and white. Some some interesting um, data, right? In words, yeah. <laughs> I've got some. You've got some really interesting viewpoints on this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think we've, we've partly covered it with the sat nav analogy, really, right? Um, I mean, the future, yes, it has to be AI and machine learning, right? The cost of compute is so much infinitesimally smaller now that what we can do through AI machine learning thousands millions of scenarios 
in the same time that we were running one or two queries. So, you know, it absolutely has to be. However, you know, back to that sat nav analogy, I think it's a yes and, right? Mm -hmm. um, we, we're going, we've all experienced that computer says, no, you can't have this moment, right? Um, because it isn't aware of a, a piece of missing data, a fact, something that's not there. Um, so, you know, but, I mean, the risk, the, the, the best example I think I've got in this space is, is those, the way in which risk models and actuarial models are, are kind of evolving, right? There's this, certainly in the financial services, like we really want to adopt this stuff because like having thousands of data points to make a decision has to be better than tens or hundreds, right? The, the, there are two or three inherent problems in this. And it, and it comes back to the, the why. I was like, how do you know this model has made this determination? And is it the right answer? And there's a couple of things that in the industry we were a little worried about because if you train machine learning and, and, and AI with, with data sets, which is roughly how these things work, if you look historically back at what we've been doing in the past, you know, as a bank, most banks would have, have lent to white middle-aged men statistically more than, than anything else, because according to the stats, they were more creditworthy. And, you know, that's the business, right? So you know, you're basically training these things with biased data. And that's one of the big challenges. So unbiasing the models and making sure that they are fair for now and ethically fair for now and for the future is one of the concerns we have. But it absolutely is going to continue to grow and continue to be back to that helping you sat now thing, something that's going to be able to give you a clear decision. And there may be certain scenarios, you know, where the automation will completely take over, you know, where we're looking at lower risk, where we're looking at low impact to customers, I can see those being fully automated, right? You want a quick decision on a, on a, uh, on an overdraft or a quick decision on something like that, I can see that being fully automated. Um, but the the referrals, the exceptions, the the guiding hand and the oversight is always going to be there, whether it be through traditional MI and BI reporting or whether it be through um, some yeah, a bit of back testing or um, a certain amount of um, governance and oversight that's then applied on on a monthly, quarterly, whatever basis. Um, those are the things that I can see as kind of the guide rails that will then need to go around it. But to your question in the future, yeah, absolutely has to be machine learning and AI because the cost of computers come down so much. Why not run a thousand scenarios instead of 10? Right. And well, why not uh, in, indeed? And I feel that's a, a great place to, um, to, to, to end. Although I have one more um, question. I know that you are a Formula One fan. Uh, are Ferrari going to run away with it this season? Good question. In, you know, from early running form, it feels like it. The data would point to the fact that they are faster. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I actually, you know, to your point about AI and machine learning, I think it's a fascinating example of unintended consequences this year, because the whole porpoising thing, this, this bouncing up and down as a result yeah. of ground effect, you know, it wasn't something that was modeled from the machines that they modeled. And they're trying to work out why. And part of the why is that, you know, it's not a clean environment. You're going over bumps, you're going yeah. to get resonant frequency. You know, Tacoma Narrows Bridge, for those of us in engineering, you know, resonant frequency and away you go. So I think it's, it's fascinating that um, 
even with today's data and processing and wind tunnels, they can still make the occasional mistake, which I think answers that previous question, which is where does the human involvement come in? It comes in the, the hypothesis, the back testing, and the and the correction where the model doesn't spot something that, that wasn't considered to be part of the parameters to be added. Brilliant answer. Um, Rick, it's been an absolute pleasure. I know that you are on a uh, career break, but if people want to follow you on LinkedIn, is that a, is that okay yeah. to do? Yeah, I could, we can put the various details in. Uh, in your in your link yeah, exactly by so, somewhere like this for those listening we're trying to point at the um, uh, the screen um rick genuinely i've really appreciated your uh, your insights and knowledge today um i know my audience will do will will do will have done uh, as uh, as well um for those that are listening thank you as always if you want to be on the podcast you know what to do if you want to recommend somebody to be on the podcast uh, you know what to do um but rick thank you it's been an absolute pleasure no worries thanks alex